and we get to Nova Scotia, my parents are like, we're actually moving and we're never going back. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Cloud Machine Podcast. My name is Matt Landry. And in this 29th episode, I'm here with Rachel Bobbitt. Though this podcast, we discuss her recent EP, The Half We Still Have, her upcoming album release show, Rachel's Origin Story, and her upcoming tour with Jesse Joe Stark. We also play Dream Fest. Stick around, and thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Cloud Machine Podcast. For those who are new to the podcast, Cloud Machine is about the music industry and its stakeholders, meaning everybody that works in it, lives it, loves it, and surrounds it. Our goal is to shine a light on roles, people, and realities of the music industry that are often forgotten or taken for granted. Whether you're someone that's dreaming about making a move in the industry, have some songs recorded and don't know what to, what to do with them, or just a listener that wants to learn more, you're at the right place. This week, I have the immense pleasure of welcoming a fellow Torontonian artist to the podcast, Rachel Bobbitt. She has a new EP, brand new EP, out, I guess we're, we're recording this sort of early, but it's out this Friday. Right? Yes. And by the time you hear this, it'll be out. So go check it out now. It's called The Half We Still Have. A little bio sort of write-up on, on the project. Uh, on The Half We Still Have, Rachel Bobbitt's remarkable new four-track EP, the Toronto-based singer-songwriter has crafted a series of sharp and incisive character studies that slice through traditional notions of myth-making and identity with unflinching honesty and emotion. Amid piercing intuition and fearless self-reflection lies a transportive confessional that slides even deeper into the cutting observations she so vividly imagined on last year's debut outing, The Ceiling Could Collapse. A searing, empathetic work of music, musical nonfiction, the half we still have is the freshest example yet of Rachel Bobbitt's bold musical voice and artistic creativity and just, and just hint of an emerging and immensely bright future to come. Uh, go check it out now. Um, for more information and to get in touch with Rachel, check out her Instagram page at Rachel underscore Bobbitt. That's three B's and two T's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on her, or on her website. Uh, it's rachelbobbittmusic.com. So without further ado, please welcome Rachel to the podcast. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. That good. was... Nice. Hey, was, all those things. Hey, it's 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 basically not <laughs> it's me. It was, out. <laughs> yeah, it's written out. <laughs> paid you to say yeah. that. Yeah, I was asking you who wrote that. Is it? I think I that sounds like probably Joel from the label that I work with. There you go. He's very nice and apparently <laughs> thinks I'm very incisive and insightful and all these things. That's right. He's very nice. Unflinch, unflinching honesty and emotion. So that's what my friends call me, actually. That's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the nickname. Uh, we're so starting the episode off how we always start the episode, asking you about your favorite live experience as a fan. Mm. So, like a favorite show that you've you've attended. That's a really good question. I feel like I kind of have two that are tied, and yeah, the first one is was my first ever show, was when I was um, 14, I think. Yeah. Because Nova Scotia, not many acts roll through there. <laughs> sure, so sure, sure. first ever concert was Weird Al in Moncton. Whoa. And he just blew my socks off. That man yeah. <laughs> is so smart and funny. And my brother got a selfie with him, and it was just very um, fun. And yeah. I loved it. So that was number one. And then number two was seeing the war on drugs for... 
Halifax Jazz Fest. Okay. And I think it was one of my favorites because I actually went to see the band always open for them. Yeah. Um, and I had like listened to some of their music, but I wasn't like a huge fan. But then when they played their set, it was like one of the most amazing sets I've ever seen live. Whoa. And their chemistry was just incredible. And yeah, it was just a nice summer night outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A really beautiful memory. So. With with Re- Weird Al, was it like a solo show? He oh. had all the fixings. Yeah, he had okay, the backup, whole thing. Yeah, dancers, singers. Okay. He had costumes. So whoa, it was a okay. full. You know. Yeah, yeah. Moment. I can't. I can't say I've, I've seen Weird Al, um, but I, I didn't. I don't even know what to imagine on stage. <laughs> Anything like, you can imagine. Yeah. Does he have like a set? Like, he is does. That, oh my he gosh. Play, okay. he, he'll play some old stuff. He'll play some new stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> Next question: Favorite uh, experiences as a musician, like as a as a artist on stage. Do you have like one memory that kind of sticks out to you? Yeah, I think that one. Would probably be we um, as a band we played a show in L.A. and it was my first ever time playing in L.A. and I was very nervous because the label that I work with is based out of L.A. So they they were like, "Hey, like I'm Matt from Streaming and I'm gonna come and like see sure, you play and like sure, yeah yeah." So it was a lot of people's like first time seeing me play that people who were working with me. So mm-hmm. I was very anxious to kind of prove myself, I guess, in a certain way. Um, but it and but it went well. And yeah, it was yeah. good. And it was recorded. That was also a part of it. Yes. Like they were recording it. It's still available. Right? Yes. It's the resident uh Check set. it out <laughs> on YouTube. It'll be it'll be in the description below oh, as well. Gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, yeah it yeah. was good. It was fun. But I was like, if I totally fumble this, it's it's recorded in H D. So <laughs> yeah, <in laughs> that'll HD, be really yeah. fun. <laughs> no iPhones were recording. No. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you remember like uh do you remember like Getting in that day, like, what was your, like, favorite moment of that day? Was it, like, the afterwards, like, ending the show? Because I know for me, a lot of shows could be, like, nerve-wracking and stuff. Yeah. I had, I well, one really nice moment was when I walked into the venue. Um, my bassist, Isaac, his girlfriend, Charlotte, was there. And yeah. she's just so nice and very grounding. And I walked in, and she we hadn't seen each other in a while. And she's like, hey, Rachel. And it was just really nice to see someone familiar. We had been playing shows in the States for like, I think two weeks at that point. Yeah. Only seeing the four of each other. So it was sure. like, <laughs> you know, it was good. But we were <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we yeah, need yeah. to see anyone else. Yeah. yeah. I so. want to talk to not, not you, not but, you, but you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. yeah. So it was that. nice to see her. And then after the show, um, we went to this bar called the thirsty crow. Yeah. And if you're in LA, you should go because if you ask for any shot of anything, they'll give you like quadruple shots. It was like, <laughs> very intense and we all ended up talking about how much we liked each other and crying and it was really nice so <laughs> that's awesome yeah <laughs> well when was the show um hmm. i think it was last november okay yeah yeah nice moving on to the second question um in re- well i guess that was the second question the second topic um erica badu's quote the audience knows it if you've been listening um <laughs> Music and music business are two different things. So I guess this question is more veered to, towards the music business side of things, music industry. Um, what is your first instinct when you hear that music and music business are two different things? Yeah, I feel like my, my first instinct is like, yes, she really nailed that one. Because yeah. I definitely think they are very separate. And I feel like for myself, 
kind of accepting that they're really separate was actually really helpful because I think I was trying to view the marketing aspect of music with the same type of like uh, engagement and like um, intensity that I did with my music. Like I wanted to be just as involved and careful with the marketing aspect of things and like the business side of things. And I think parts of that are good, but then other parts can just be really exhausting because you also have to just make decisions that are just business decisions. And I think if you load them with a bunch of like meaning and, and like art, then it can get really confusing and difficult. Yeah. Do you think one can live without the other now, like in 2023 or like as an artist, can you sort of not think about one or do you always, are you always thinking about one either way? Yeah, I think, I guess it kind of depends for me on like what stage I'm at in creating and sharing and everything yeah sure like I think sometimes I've definitely felt when like creating and playing music and just making art I'll I'll feel the like businessy stuff creep in even in my own brain of being like oh how would this translate on like a stage or Instagram or like stuff like that which is like yuck so I try I think I do think that they can exist separately at different stages of it like I I really try to keep my mind very um involved in the music and in the art when I'm creating it and then I think afterwards it's kind of like taking a step back and going okay how can we package this who can we reach out to and stuff like that and then you get businessy with it yeah 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 when you're out on tour is it does it ever do you ever go back into creation mode like there's a lot of artists that say oh I'm writing on tour and stuff at the same time and do we're, we're all jamming and stuff and creating music on tour does it ever like for you is it ever something that you sort of do or is it pretty divided we're on tour right now yeah that's interesting because I've definitely heard artists say like yeah and we wrote this song on tour and that's (laughs) so cool to me but I'm like I have no idea how because I did try it and I brought my laptop out in the back seat of the car (laughs) and I recorded some vocals into this like you know crappy mic and was trying but I was like everything didn't feel good like it just I felt very like I think in the back of my brain the whole time I was like you're gonna play a show later today and you're on tour and this is what's happening and not that I'm like uh, I don't I don't think I need a lot to like sit down and write like I'm not very ritualistic in that ritualistic that sounds so intense no I get (laughs) it no I I totally get it um but yeah no I think um just like being the busyness of tour really does distract me a lot. I yeah. Think. No, I, I, I completely get you there. I think like a lot of people that can write on tour are probably not dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff. They're yeah. like probably like on their own bus and tour they have bus. like their own time and yeah. they're waking up in a different city so they can spend the day mostly mm-hmm. writing. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And it's it's definitely a luxury to be able to like mm-hmm. even just write on tour. Um, we, ha- we had Noah Moncton last week uh, and... He was just talking about some of the rituals that he has writing. That's cool. Um, and again, maybe ritualistic is, is a little <laughs> intense. Mid-summer. But but he was just talking about his process. Um, do you have do you have a process when writing? Yeah, I think I do like to burn incense just because it's like I find wa- watching the smoke is a nice alternative to like picking up my phone when I hit a rut because it's like. I feel like when you pick up your phone, you're immediately, like, killing any thought or train of thought. Yeah. Or at least to me, that's kind of what happens. So I think it's entertaining to watch 
the little swirls happen. So, yeah. yeah. And and I like the smell. But I think I think that's really it. I find I, I do a lot of dog sitting and like house sitting in other people's houses. And that's really nice because I it's like a new space and it feels very um, just like un tainted it's not like i've never tried to write in that room before so it's not right. like i remember all these times coming in here and being like oh i wrote a really right. bad song yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's kind of fun but yeah nothing too like some people get really um deliberate with it which is cool like yeah, i think yeah, that's yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. neat but i don't really some people have their like writing socks or whatever yeah. or they, they, they're like there's different stuff but you, you you're just like when it comes to mind it comes to mind yeah is there any do you have to like sort of carve out time being like hey today i'm writing and that's it, or, or is it more, like, spontaneous for you? Yeah, I think, like, I think when I'm at the stage of, like, recording a demo and kind of producing it, mm. I'm very much, like, spontaneous with it because I find that probably the most exciting point of a song. But the writing portion of things, like, writing the lyrics and the structure and the melody is, like, very, um, st- like, stressful to me in yeah. a lot of ways. So I do have to force myself a lot of time to just like sit down and work on it because once I have a song fleshed out enough to like bring it into Ableton and start like adding elements and adding these different like sounds it's like really exciting and that feels like the most just creative part of it but when I'm writing it's like I have to be like okay you have to write now because I don't I find it really um intense I guess yeah 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 and do you try to finish the song, at least lyrics and structure-wise, all at once? Or is it mostly, like, in chunks? Mostly in chunks. I've yeah. had, like, a couple times where I have written a song in, like, a morning, and that's yeah, yeah. cool. But usually I'll, like, start with a verse and then go from yeah. there and try to chip away at it. But, yeah, it, it kind of varies for cool. me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Going back to the sort of the business part, um, how is how is the business part viewed on your end? Now you have a label, mm-hmm. you have an agent as well. Mm-hmm. How is that compared to? I, I we'll, we'll get into the like five years ago, Rachel, right. into the into the now, Rachel. But um, how is that like business part viewed on your end now from being a pretty independent beforehand and then coming into sort of like the label management world? Mm -hmm. label world yeah yeah it's definitely it's a shift and and it's really it's a good shift in a lot of ways like I feel extremely lucky to have the the booking company that I work with is great and I work with this guy Wilson who's like so nice and the people I work with at the label are just really nice and feel very genuine and I think that because of that I feel really lucky because I I think the relationship between labels and artists and even booking companies and artists can be very fraught and for good reason I think a lot of the time but I do feel lucky that even even if there are things sometimes that I'm like oh this doesn't this doesn't feel awesome or this kind of feels like a bit of a compromise it does always feel like the best interest of like the music is at the center of it yeah that's just great and I think a lot of times that's like the most important thing you can kind of maintain and, and ask for. But I think for me, a big thing to kind of try to keep in mind for myself is that as a musician and as an artist, you're the one who's kind of like dr- steering the boat, driving the car. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because yeah. um, I think working with people as a developing artist can 
a lot of the time start to feel like you're working for them. And then you kind of can forget that like they're there to support the thing that you create that people connect with. Yeah. Um, they're yeah. working for you. Yes. In, in a way. Yeah, yeah no, I, I totally agree and totally understand. Even in the last couple of years, just working with artists with management and, and mm. agents and stuff. And sometimes it, it, the, the power dynamic is more like, oh, they're like, they're their thing and, mm-hmm. and they're con- sort of controlling what we're doing. So it, the, the, the relationship is almost like a, a parent yes. situation. Yeah. With, where it's actually sort of not like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really these people are working for the artists. Exactly. And I think it's really, really easy to forget that. And I actually, I was working with management that was, um, they were two really great, really nice and hardworking people. But I think, and I've been working with them for like two years. Yeah. And just recently kind of very slowly over the course of a couple months came to this realization that I just didn't feel like the relationship was totally making sense. It honestly felt like a breakup. <laughs> like yes, yeah. having to kind oh my of, gosh. you know, um, se- separate or sever ties because although they were so wonderful and good people, I think like I came to this realization that like, oh, I'm at the center of this and I do have control and I can make decisions for myself, for my career because mm. yeah, oftentimes in these very professional relationships, people are, as a young musician, people are telling you how stuff works and the logistics of how things work and the business side of how things work. But at the center of it, you are creating the thing that is connecting to people, which is why these people want you. So, yeah. And they could be telling you their reality of things just to make their situation a little bit better as well. Yeah, definitely. Not saying that that was, yes, that, yeah. that, that <laughs> was what your situation was, but no, I, I totally, totally understand. And that's why at the podcast too and in the business, whatever, we sort of take the approach of there's not really a right answer. Mm-hmm. It's really mostly just sharing stories, sharing experiences of music industry because it's yeah. the, the curtain is drawn completely. Yeah, no, nobody's Nobody has the right answer. There's a couple books, you know, but <laughs> it's not really like there isn't a right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about right or wrong in the music industry, where do you, th- <laughs> where do you think <laughs> the music industry is at now in regards to like the, the entire environment in regards to... Where it is now, where is it going in the future, yeah. social media, where are you at in, in all that stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like social media. Yeah. Big question. <laughs> yeah. I think social media is definitely an aspect of it that does, um, like, I mean, I think most musicians have a complicated relationship with social media because mm-hmm. I think something that I always, like, think to myself almost in a way of being frustrated is, like, I'm, I'm good at music but I'm not an influencer. Like I'm not good at going on Instagram and getting people to buy stuff. So I think there's like an element to that that feels unfair, but I spent a a long time being like, that's unfair. So I'm not going to do it or I shouldn't have to do it. So I'm not going to, but I think ultimately like social media is a very large part of how people can spread their music, which is, I don't know. I think if people can find your music, through a TikTok, they still found your music, even sure. if it's through a TikTok. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have the app, but I do post on there. But somebody else has my login. Okay. So. Yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> but um, I do think that social media is like um, cultivating what people are listening to in a really interesting way, especially TikTok. And that does kind of make me a little bit sad. TikTok is coming out with this like streaming service, which is yes, yeah, crazy and strange, and I don't understand how that's going to work, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but I think, I don't know, yeah, it's good and bad, I think. <laughs> yeah, 
just a, just moments ago, you were talking about like the uh, being a musician and not an influencer. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, how do you walk that line? Yeah, or how does one walk that line? Because w- again, now we're seeing almost influencers first, mm-hmm. then becoming artists. Yeah, um, and sorry, not almost. We are seeing those like blatantly. Mm-hmm. But there's also artists that are now becoming more influencers or as they go yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Where do you think that there's that, is there that line? Are you walking it? Are you far from that line? What, what are you thinking? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I try to engage with social media in a way that still feels um, like some level of authentic. Yeah. Obviously, there's always a pretense or there's usually a pretense when you're posting on Instagram. But I think that for me, uh, if I share other art that I like like if I'm like these are the books I'm reading mm-hmm. it feels a bit influencer-y but I also feel okay with it because I feel like I'm sharing other art and so that's, that's kind of cool yeah. but I think there's yeah I, I guess if I think that should come as like an afterthought like if if you're writing a song to be like this chorus is gonna become viral on TikTok then I think <laughs> yeah. that's like a really scary thought loop but sure sure yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. A lot of people are like writing for TikTok now, or <laughs> like so scary. like the fifteen second loop or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I think it's scary as well. I'm all about like the full song and even the full record. Sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm always Whoa, thinking about the record. Album. Yeah, no I know, way. I know, I know, I know. And it, yeah, it, it's wild that now so many people are hooked on on the on the on the sound yeah. or whatever they call it, yeah. or whatever the kids call it. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's go into the uh, the origin story. We don't know each other that well, we I have don't. to say. Um, I think we, we've met a couple times, mm-hmm. uh, just at shows. Yes. Um, so I, we need to know more about you. The, the people, but also me. Um, Where did you grow up? Um, I Well, I was born in, actually, Ontario in, like, a very small hamlet called Munster. But then I moved to Nova Scotia when I was, like, eight or nine. Yeah. So that's, Nova Scotia is, like, feels like more of my home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's where I grew up. And you're like family still there kind of thing? Yeah, my, so while we were living in Ontario, we actually used to go to Nova Scotia every summer for like our family vacation. And then because all of my extended family lives there and then my parents, okay. well, this is actually so mean, my parents, um, one summer we were going on our usual like two week trip from Ontario to Nova Scotia and we get to Nova Scotia and my parents are like, we're actually moving and we're never going back. <laughs> what so as like a nine-year-old I was like what and I called on my friends and I'm like well I'm gone like I'm moved now um so I was very <laughs> angsty about that for a long time I took a vow of silence and I was like I'm not talking did you? yeah I said I'm not talking oh until you move gosh. us back I did talk again but yeah yeah they, they did that <laughs> well have you talked to them about it yeah. since then like what was what was like the <laughs> yeah they feel bad my that was... mom especially I think because they they were kind of like toying with the idea and then like the perfect house came up and like my dad got this new job and so this was all happening while we were on vacation and they're like okay well I guess we are actually doing it so I think they just didn't expect it to happen but it did and then they were like all right kids you'll never see your home again <laughs> oh yeah and did y'all like move a bunch of stuff there or did they have to go back and then bring stuff back or? yeah my dad and his friend went back and like packed up the house and yeah <laughs> that's, so, that's that's pretty wild um any trust issues now or <laughs> yeah, yeah i talked to my therapist about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 whoa okay so okay but your your yeah like your parents family was 
like based there. Yes. In Nova Scotia. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, okay. So you, okay. Right. How was growing up living in 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 Nova Scotia? It was good. It was nice. I grew up in a small town called Port Williams, which is like very small. Like I think it's like a thousand people or something. Yeah. Small. Um but I liked like I think I actually appreciate it more now that I've moved away. Mm-hmm. Very classic, but it's like so beautiful and um People are very nice, but it's very small town vibes. So I think moving to Toronto was very important and, yeah, just the right decision, but it's nice to visit. I think it's like a good place to visit. Maybe not a good place to live if you're young, but it is good maybe to retire. There you go. Are your parents still there? <laughs> yeah. Nice. And your and your your extended family as well, Port William? Yeah, my extended family is kind of all over the place, but mostly in the Annapolis Valley is like where – that Fort Williams is and where we'll fill in Acadia University and all these little places. Okay. So, yeah. Great. Um, how was like your musical upbringing? Like was, was it like your parents played music or like cousins and uncles, aunts, grandparents? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what was, what was it like? Yeah. My grandparents on my mom's side or my grandpa specifically, my poppy, he was like very classic East coast in the sense that he Never took a lesson in his life, but yeah. just somehow knew how to play, like, fiddle and piano and guitar and accordion and, like, all these different instruments um, just by ear, which is crazy to me. Now, playing instruments, I'm like, yeah. how did he do that? But <laughs> So he would play a lot of music. And my mom played piano, and she sang. And mm. my dad is, like, um, endearingly and hilariously tone deaf. And okay, it's, like, yeah, very yeah. fun. I'll go home, and we'll, like sing and i'll be like sing this note and i'll sing a pitch and he'll be like so off it's very funny but so i love it (laughs) (laughs) do you have any siblings yeah i have a twin brother named max and he's actually back in nova scotia still and um he's a computer engineer person okay he's definitely told me exactly what he does but i don't know (laughs) (laughs) and my sister is actually she moved to toronto last year so she's here any music sort of inclinations in in your siblings yeah definitely we were all in band and choir and even into late high school my sister started a glee club with me and like a couple of our friends and every friday night was our rehearsal night so okay god knows i wasn't doing anything else so yeah we were all very (laughs) varying degrees of musical yeah 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 and how was high school so the friday was the glee club what was it part of the high school no well i was uh, so i what there was a glee club a part of my high school and i was a part of that as well but this was just you're doubling down we're doubling down i wasn't fooling around so (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's awesome so but the in high school was it was there choir in high school you're saying or was it like was there a musical class a music class yeah, there was a music class, and it wasn't great. The teacher was not super, like, passionate, I don't yeah. think. Um, and But I was in it all and did the choir thing. But, for like, when I was in high school, I, like, hated the idea of performing in front of my school. It was, like, because they'd have, like, variety shows and musicals, and I never did any of that. Because yeah. ultimately, I'm, like, I can't imagine. Or at the time, I was, like, why would I get up in front of, all these people who think I'm actually so dumb and sing a song and be like so vulnerable in front of them. And even looking back, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Why would you do that? Sure, sure. So sure, I never sure. really did that side of things. So your passion then for the music stuff really comes from your family and the Glee Club. 
And the Glee Club, and I did a lot of musicals too. So, okay, yeah, you can see great. why I was just yeah. so popular. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, what was the transition from? So, was it high school then Toronto, right away? Yeah, yeah. I because I knew I wanted to go to Humber since I was in like grade nine. Okay, and just knew that it was like the best jazz school in Canada, and I knew I didn't want to stay in the valley. Um, so it was kind of like this far off idea though. And then I sent in my virtual recording of my audition and they were like, you're in. And I remember going to my parents and they're like, oh, you're okay. So now we have to like figure out how to get you there. <laughs> oh, this is real. This is yeah, real yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so, but, and then there was a while where it was like, oh, I don't think I could go because of the money and the, right. you know, like having to live on campus and all this stuff. But we found out how to get all the loans a possible, which is going to still be fun for the next 10 years. But sure, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, it all worked out. And I think that was like a very important thing for me to like leave home right after high school. When, like, when did you go to Humber? Um, I think it was 2017 to 2020, I think. Yeah, I didn't graduate, actually. Okay, okay. I, f- I finished my third year and then pandemic COVID happened. Yeah. And I was like, I'll go back. And then I just... I feel like the thought of adding, you know, another $10,000 to a loan at the time I was already recording an EP and that was kind of like the fourth year was recording. Your yes. EP, yeah. So, yeah. 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 Cause you're a Humber student, ex Humber student. Mm-hmm. Um, I often ask a lot of people that were Humber students, how your, your experience was. Yeah. It was like, I think in my first year it was great. It gave me a lot of, purpose and I think I met a lot of people that I still play with today and like for that I think it's really worth it because if I had just moved to Toronto without having that structure to like connect me to all these people it would have been taken like so much longer to meet all these amazing musicians um so in that way it was really great but then I think as the like as I got into third year especially I think I mean like I had a songwriting class and the teacher was like you have to write a song that is like this and you have to have this bridge and you have to say that. And I just, it was like little moments like that where I was like, oh, I don't feel like, I don't feel like music thrives in an academic environment because you're trying to put together two very like incongruent things. But I guess there's like benefits, but I think they wore off by the time third year rolled around. Yeah, that's great. I I think a lot of the people that come out of Humber really say that the connections that they made there are probably the most, like, valuable thing that they gained. definitely. Um, You're still playing with many of these musicians today, Mm -hmm. right? I'd say most of the musicians. Most of the musicians, yeah, yeah. yeah. How is going from the school, even through the pandemic, because so so we're the same age, went to, came to Toronto at the same time. Where are you from? I'm from Sudbury, Ontario. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, we came in at the same time. So I, I finished my third year when you finished your third year. So mm-hmm. like April, 2020, basically. Yeah. How was going from Humber to, uh, to the, the gigging industry, but during the pandemic yeah. almost? Yeah, that was honestly really weird. I mean, I think for everybody, <laughs> um, yeah. my parents drove up from Nova Scotia to here to pick me up. At okay. the beginning of the pandemic, because they're like, the world is ending and we need you home. And yeah. Justice, my musical partner and partner partner, came <laughs> with me. Um, 
So we were like in my childhood home in Nova Scotia during this pandemic, like washing the groceries in the sink and had no idea what was going yes. on. And at that time, musically, I felt, well, I was getting really overwhelmed because I had it in my head that if I wanted to release release my own project, I needed to like mix it myself and record it myself. And I don't know where I got that idea, but it was like really freaking me out because of course I couldn't learn how to mix in like a month and it was really making me sad and making me feel like I could never like I really thought that I would never be able to release anything on my own like I'd always need somebody else and in a lot of ways that's really true but I think my idea of needing other people was like oh that means it can't be my project but I think once I learned that like oh I can ask like Steven to drum on this song and it doesn't make it any less my song it just makes it better because he's way better at drums than I'll ever be in my life. So I think it was like a really important time to learn to like pull on the resources and the friends that I have. Um, But yeah, there was a minute there I was like, well, I'm throwing in the towel. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Did you enjoy, were you all there for a while? Yeah, we were there for, I think we were there from March to September. And then we went to Saskatoon to live with his parents from September to uh, April. So okay, like winter, so like over a year, over basically. Over a year, and winter in Saskatoon is evil. <laughs> it's so bad. Everyone tells you, like, it's cold. It's, like, so cold. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was just there a couple weeks ago, and it was just, like, wild. But it reminded <laughs> me a lot of, of, of where I grew up in Northern oh, Ontario. Nice. Uh, and the, the winters are dumb. Yeah, stupid. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, amazing. Let's talk about your... Um, your first years. So you posted, so I, just a quick little story here. You put recent IG story mm-hmm. the other day about releasing your five song, uh, your first song about five years ago. Yeah. Congrats Thank on you. the five years. Um, tell me about that. So five years ago would be 2018. Mm-hmm. So second year at Humber. Or yeah, going into second going year. Going into yeah. second year. Tell me about that, like that, that summer and, Maybe not, but, maybe, but like, maybe don't. but but, but <laughs> it's your choice. But like, tell me about like Rachel, like then. Mm. Yeah, I was. Def- I've definitely been thinking a lot about me then because the EP's anniversary came up the other day. This yeah. little like mixtape collections of songs. Shout out Reaper. Shout out Reaper. All done on Reaper. Yeah. That project was. Um, yeah. Yep, and. I, yeah, that was an interesting time because I felt um, a little bit aimless. I When I was in high school, I used Vine a lot and yeah. actually did, like, I got a, an audience from it that was, like, you know, somewhat substantial. And so that made me feel like, oh, maybe I could do this for my living. And I think that did really, like... Um, stoke that fire and then vine died but i think it was a really good thing because at the time i was just making i was like doing like ed sheeran covers and like wasn't really passionate about it um but then that's so that summer was like a couple years later and i was like okay so i peaked turns out when i was 14 (laughs) (laughs) and now i'm i can't do anything i'm like my instagram is like dead there's like crickets and i was just feeling very um yeah, like I had like I had peaked and and I was like it's hilarious to look back on cuz I was like you're 18 years old and you already felt like your like moment like I felt like I'd fumbled the ball kind of thing. Sure, um, sure, sure. But I think so I think the EP was like a way for me to 
kind of proved to myself that I still can be creative and make something that feels good to me, even if it's not like a cover of a song on a six second app. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um Oh wait, wait. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. Cause because you were doing Ed Sheeran covers, but they were only six seconds. Oh yeah. So you had to pick like the juiciest part. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was Whoa. fun. <laughs> wow. But isn't that how Mendez did it too? Yeah. You know what? And I'll say this on the podcast. We texted. I'll drop that. No big deal. I, um, I don't have like a bomb sound I know, here, you but really I'll do need that. it. Yeah, I was like 13 <laughs> and, you know, like, look at him go. Look at him go. Wild. But isn't he a 99 as well? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> the, I, I, just, I just realized because I was new. Sean was like, okay, Vine and stuff. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But just now I'm realizing that it really is just six seconds. It really is. So you got to make the most of it. So, like, how many times could you play, like, like a Lego house or whatever? So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I would just kind of pick the part that was the best. And then if you really do it right, you could, like, get it to loop so it sounds like a perfect little loop. Right. Yeah. Sure, sure. So I think we should reinvigorate the Vine app. Honestly, right yeah. <laughs> my, my dad's still talking about Vine, so shout out, <laughs> shout out Ed there. He was, he was, yeah, it was always a joke that he was on Vine, but he was never really on Vine. Um, what about uh, about Rachel five years ago? What was the what was her perception of the music industry then? Was it very mm-hmm. Vine influenced? Uh, yeah, I think so because I think while I was doing that, I like talked to because I was like so young. I was like thirteen, and and then um, this, these people at Sony were like, "Come out and like make a song with us." So okay. my dad and I went to Toronto here, and then. Um, did a song with this producer who was nice, but the song was so bad. <laughs> and I just sounded so uh, unsure in the recording. I don't even know where it is. It exists somewhere probably, but the lyrics were terrible. The song was really bad. I didn't really write it. Um, and then I went back home and was like, that sucked and was so weird. And I really didn't enjoy it, even though the people were nice. Like they weren't bad people. It was just like I was 13 and didn't know what to do or like I you know I don't know I was 13 yeah so. yeah no it's, it's yeah <laughs> yeah definitely a weird time yeah so um, I think that was like what I envisioned the industry to be is like right. a bunch of you get paired up with this like producer man who's like maybe 50 and he's like sing on this beat and then go home <laughs> sometimes it is that but a lot of times hopefully it's not right so. and how did Humber change your perspective because we're talking if we're talking about five years ago your post first year mm-hmm and we a lot of people know maybe not the people listening, but first year is pretty intense at Humber. Mm-hmm. Um, vocal major, yeah. Um, so how does your perception change from before Humber to post Humber releasing these songs here? Yeah, the first EP. Yeah, I think it was just I think being at Humber and being uh, exposed to so many other musicians who just like make their own music and yeah. put it out. That was so foreign to me. Um, I think a lot of, like, in my head, I was, like, waiting for this green light from, like, some big producer to be, like, oh, I'll work with you and it'll feel super fulfilling and then we'll put out a project together and that's the only way you can, like, put out music. But I think meeting, like, a lot of my friends who were just releasing stuff independently and recording on Reaper, it was, like, okay, cool, I can accessibly do this myself in a way that still feels fulfilling. Um, But I think... 
Yeah. So I think my perception of the industry at that point was changed because it was like, oh, maybe I don't need to interact with it as much as I thought I would. Right. Yeah. Which then maybe changed again in the next five years. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What were your like, and I forgot to ask you in the, well, I guess we're sort of still in the origin story, but not really. Um, What were you like, what were your like early influences and what were your influences like in that time kind of thing? Mm. Early Humber, maybe it's still like some of the music that you were listening to. Like as a teen stuff. Yeah. What were you like listening? What was like the influence? Hmm. Yeah. As a, I think in high school I was very into indie music. That was like my yeah. favorite genre. And Leonard Cohen was like my favorite of all favorites. Um, and that definitely carried over into first year. Um, discovering... Beach House was really big too because yeah, sure. they just create such a an atmosphere. And I think I'd been listening to so much lyric heavy or lyric forward music, which is great, but they're just so like, yeah, they just create such a world. So that was really cool and very big for me. And yeah, Phoebe Bridgers, of course. When I was in first year, I listened to her music when the first album came out. Um and at first I like was like, I really don't like this. But I feel like that's what happens when I like end up loving something. It's like right. when it's kind of so it like strikes me in such a strong way, even in a bad way. And then I come back to it and I'm like, oh, I actually love this. Right. So right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Going from that EP from that that five years ago to even do like doing your own shows. How was that? Was it mostly mm-hmm. Toronto based at the time? Yeah. I I never really performed I never performed with a band before coming to Toronto, and my first ever show was at Lee's Palace. Yeah. Um, our friend Amaka, like, organized this kind of, like, talent night. And yeah, yeah. I played, and I think Justice played, and a couple other people, and she played. And um, it was really cool but very scary because it was my first time playing my own music with a band in yeah. front of an audience. Um, and this was, like, in 2019, I think. Um yeah, I just had this idea in my head that we, even though we'd practiced and it was fine, I, I just was like, oh, we'll go on stage and like no noise will come out. Like it was just this sure. weird idea that like something really bad is going to happen or like it's not going to work, but it worked and it was fun. So mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways it was what I expected because you practice with the, the or at least I practice with the same band pretty much exclusively. And so you learn to really trust each other. And um, I think that translates really easily on stage when you know like people have your back and your best interest at heart but it's also weird like being on stage and then having people look at you and expect I don't know yeah I mean it's nice but it's kind of strange to ask for people's attention yeah but I mean yeah, yeah we're, we're in the we're in that industry <laughs> we are <laughs> um, still the same band still the same backing musicians yeah even so in that show the only difference is my friend Danny played bass but he also does his own um music full-time so he didn't really have the time so now isaac plays bass but steven on drums justice on guitar Ooh, yeah. shout out everybody <laughs> actually the, the next thing is uh is is partnership with justice how is that <laughs> uh i guess i guess the, the actual question is how is it having somebody to share both your life and and the road with because mm. there's a couple of examples in our in our industry even with, uh, uh, of a couple people that do that but I'll ask you first, uh, how is it having somebody that sh- shares like both parts of your life? Yeah, I think it's really special. I I mean, we kind of developed our 
relationship working on an album together yeah. in second year. So I think so much of our like foundation is just music and passion for it. And also obviously like if sometimes I'll be like, Les, we can't talk about music for the next three hours. Like we'll talk about <laughs> anything else together. Sure, sure. <laughs> so sometimes it's like a blessing and a curse and that we can just like talk to each other about the same music stuff over and over again, which is great, but also can get really exhausting. But I think in the end, like it is amazing to have someone who can go on the road with me and I don't have to be like, bye, I'm leaving for a month. And yes. that would get really complicated and very yeah, difficult. Yeah. And yeah, that's good. How, what's the process there in regards to, um, in regards to writing and going on the road and stuff? You, you, you're, te- you're telling us right now that it's sort of sometimes hard to not talk about music because you're so yeah. intertwined in that way. Um, what's the process there? Let's start with writing. Is there some collaboration there as well? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, Justice and I started writing together in second year. So like yeah. four years ago now, mm-hmm. um, five years ago. So yeah, it's always kind of been a thing. And um Usually what will happen is he'll start playing an instrumental thing on guitar and then I'll kind of jump in. And I think it works really well for me because I'm very, um, I can get kind of like, you know, sticky about my lyrics, like really particular. And um, so we're not really stepping on each other's toes. Like he'll play an instrumental, I'll sing a melody and come up with lyrics. So it's very like, it works really well in that sense. Um, And I think it always has been something that we're just very, naturally inclined to do together so yeah that's good yeah that's great and he has his own stuff uh, do you uh, do you collaborate on his stuff as well yeah i think less so but mm-hmm. i'll sing some stuff or he has a well i don't actually i can say it he, I, hey, <laughs> all right <laughs> but you know, stuff is coming okay down the pipe and um go. i'll do stuff like sing um nice. octaves and stuff like that so cool, cool. yeah i wanted to make the the the, the comparison with Friend of ours, Georgia Harmer and Dylan Birchall. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> They're a couple. It's also sort of on the road. Um, I want to ask, do you also do duo shows as well, you and Justice? Yeah, we did um, a couple, I think it was a week or two of duo shows with um, a Canadian artist, Luca Fogel, yeah. um, who's like one of the nicest people I've literally ever met. He's like so kind. and But we opened for him duo and it was very um, validating for me because I think with a band, I feel very protected. And then the idea of stripping that away was really uh, anxiety-inducing for me because sure, like, yeah, I yeah. want it to still have the same effect and I want it to be impactful. But I think it was like a good lesson in proving to myself um, that we can still create like a really um, moving show hopefully with like, you know, some ebbs and flows and dynamics and it's cheaper and it's easier too. So. <laughs> it is cheaper. <laughs> and no, I, I, I totally understand. And, and I don't want to make the comparison between Georgia and Dylan. It's just, I haven't had Georgia or Dylan on yet. So I just wanted to talk Aww. to you about having your partner on the road because mm-hmm. it's so in these like vulnerable moments, even on the road myself i would i would love to have my partner on the road so yeah. how is that just maybe a couple moments on that maybe not get too into it but um <laughs> yeah, yeah how is it like sharing that experience because for me sorry but mm-hmm. for me it's 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 hard sometimes to leave mm-hmm. right because you're leaving the house but you're also leaving the partner and stuff like that but y'all are doing it on the road together <laughs> sometimes most of the time so yeah how is that like just for you sharing the experience together yeah it's it's 
really great because I feel like on tour there are so many things that change so consistently. Yeah. It's nice to have a foundation that feels very, you know, familiar. And um, he had like a, a festival thing to do last tour. So he flew out and then we played some shows trio. And I definitely felt the loss of that security um, mm. in not having my partner there, even for like, I think it was only like four days or something. Yes, so yeah. I feel like it would be very challenging to leave that comfort and then also enter a whole bunch of new unfamiliar territory. So yeah. musically as well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, awesome. Okay. Well, let's get back to the, um, <laughs> the Rachel Bobbitt. <laughs> um, when did you know? So, okay. So now we're, we're, we're past the first record, first couple shows, least palace. When did you know that you were taking like the next step as an artist and doing like, Maybe touring. Maybe mm. was that like post pandemic? Or are we even at, are we even out of the pandemic? I don't know. <laughs> but when was when did you know that like you were taking the next step? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I feel like, I mean, coming back to Toronto after the pandemic, it was definitely a very um, top priority of mine to play consistently, even within the city. Mm. Um, so I, but I think I mean starting to tour was something that was like a goal in the distance and it started happening with the booking company that I was working with. So I think that was like a major puzzle piece. I, I do all of like the advance info and all of the um, hotels and routing and everything, but having someone there to like pitch you for things and to get you kind of their foot in the door is like a whole side of things that I feel extremely lucky to have someone to help with and to, to do that for me because I do feel like um, I would be starting kind of from scratch like a lot of people are and it's like a very uphill battle I think to try to break into touring um, and finding artists who are willing to have an opener who you know isn't like gonna bring in a bunch of people so yeah um, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned your booking agent um, a lot of the conversations that I have with like new artists not even new artists, just artists that have been doing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. They're always asking, okay, well, how do I, how do I get on tours? How do I open for people? Um, a lot of people are asking about like agents and managers for you. And I'm just going to ask just generally, mm-hmm. when do you think is the right time to look for somebody or look for people to add to your team? Mm-hmm. And for you, was it, did somebody approach you? Was it, natural was Mm -hmm. it like hey Rachel meet this person what was it what was that like what were the first steps like a lot of people want to know yeah I mean for me um I was approached by the management that I worked with for a a while so and I think something really important with like majority of these relationships is like if they're asking for money up front that's like a scary no go yeah Um, because a lot of them should be the kind of thing where it's like hopefully if you make money they make money yes percentage of yeah so I think that was something I definitely looked out for but I think in terms of like especially a booking company I feel like a good if you feel like your live set is just very um like an experience that you're just excited to share and build on and and I think as well if you feel like you've kind of exhausted your immediate options in terms of like booking local shows and you've like sent the emails because I I used to just like I think a lot of people would just like copy and paste the same hey I'm a local musician and like here's my portfolio and like I I feel like once you've been doing that 
for a while and you kind of feel like you've knocked on every door, I think that's like a natural time to start trying to look for outside help. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, because everybody, I guess, approaches it differently and comes to like a different point with it. But yeah. Yeah. And how, is, how has that experience been for you in regards to getting the booker management early on? Um, what was it sort of, so, it was it something that you had to adapt to? Was it like, uh, even last, last week, I don't know if it made it onto the podcast episode, but I asked even about like getting pe- more people on your team also m- means that you have to shed responsibility or like mm-hmm. sort of, um, like give tasks to others. Mm-hmm. Um, was it delegate basically yeah. is what, is what, is what I mean. Um, how was that for you early on? Yeah, I, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I was really happy to have help, especially when it comes to things like merch. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, but I think it is the the area that I find still find the most difficult is like when it comes to the actual music. And I feel like that's pretty common, but um, kind of having like an A&R person give their opinion or um, like a project manager say like, oh, this is too long. You got to cut that chorus or like we want to make it three and a half minutes and a part of me is like, oh, you know, I'm lucky to have people's input and I'm I'm lucky to, yeah, to have the resources to have people kind of critique my music and, and give their pointers. And a lot of times it's great, but then there's moments where I'm like, no, I want to take it all back and just be like just me in my room and nobody can tell me when I'm going to drop anything or when anything's going to, I don't know. But then it's also a very privileged position to be in to have people to help you with all of that. So it's like, you go back and forth. I yeah, guess, sure, but. sure, sure. Depends on the day. Yeah. Depends on the day. We're back. Well, Rachel Bobbitt uh, on the 29th episode of the Clown Machine podcast. We haven't really talked about it yet, but we're um, over half a year into the uh, into the Clown Machine podcast, wow. which is, yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, thanks. It's pretty wild. I, I was talking to some people about it the other day, and I was like, yeah, it really is, like, that 26th episode, it really is half a year. So um, thanks for everybody who's been uh, sticking around, listening to the pod. Um, it's been great so far for me. Great experience. I didn't know I was going to talk about this right now, but uh, <laughs> there you go. Unscripted moment. I uh, just want to say thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, and, um, yeah, keep on sharing. Keep on reviewing the pod on Apple and all the other places. And, um, yeah, have a good time. Um, anyway... Hi. <laughs> We're here with Rachel. Um, Rachel, we, we just spoke mostly about um, the past Rachel. Um, if you had to compare the, f- the five years ago, Rachel, to now, what, was, wh- what are like the big things that stick out to you about, about her then and, and, and you now? Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's kind of nice to look back five years ago. Yeah. And be like, oh, you were so... Trying her best, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I do, th- I think some big differences would be, I think musically, I think music has more like, almost like baggage for me now. Yeah. Not necessarily, but I think a lot of musicians, when you like do it for a living or you just do it every day, it becomes less like, just less fun and less um, spontaneous, um, like how it was when you were like 10 or 12 or even 18. But um but it, and then also in a lot of ways, I think music has become a lot more important to me and a lot more meaningful. And so it's like with the broadening of what music is to me, it's like been 
kind of hard and also very amazing. So, um, yeah. And I think I'm a lot happier than now than I was then. Yeah. So that's nice. That's good. You mentioned the word baggage. Are you somebody that sort of carries that, 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 uh, that lyric baggage, even when you, when you're singing the songs on stage? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm singing a song on stage, I'm like, why would, what is, why would anyone want to listen to this? Like it's sometimes such a strange moment of being like, oh, I don't know if I stand behind this, but then that's very rare. So I think more so when I like finish a project and then you've like listened to it so like so many times and it's almost like when you like stare at yourself in the mirror and then you like, your face doesn't even look like a face anymore. (laughs) And like, I think that's like the most intense part for me is like listening to a project so much and it's not even released yet. And then feeling like sometimes I'll listen to it and be like, wow, this is just actually bad. But then it passes. It's like, I yeah. think it's just like a moment of feeling like very distanced from it. Um, but not objective at all because you're too in it to be objective. So, but, but I think for the most part, it's okay. <laughs> there you go. You said unreleased. The next thing is the new, the new EP. Yeah. The half we still have. Now, as we said at the beginning of the episode, uh, as when this episode comes out, the uh, the EP will be released. How does that feel? <laughs> oh, it feels amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Has there been a lot of weight behind this release? Like, have you been weight in W E I G H T G H T, but also weight W A I T? Um, have you been waiting for a long time? Has it been like, is it is there is is it nerve wracking to release for you? What what's what's it like? What's the what's the whole process like for you? Yeah, I think um, I think it's a little bit scary, like certain elements of it. Music videos are always like scary for me to release because I'm like, whoa, that's like me, like <laughs> sure. like physically me, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. like very different. I think I'm a lot u- more used to like releasing a song and having that represent me. So I think the music video thing is like more scary to me yeah. than the music. But yeah, it's I feel very ready to release it because. I mean, some of the songs, two of them, I wrote like a week before, not a week before, like a month before going into the studio to record them. So they're kind of last minute. And then one of them, Justice and I wrote together in second year. So it's like very old. Okay, wow. And yeah. we played it on my final recital for okay, Humber. Hey, there you go. And my final recital was March 11th, 2020. And so like nobody came and it was really weird. And it was actually one of like the last recitals that Humber did before canceling all of them. Um which is just crazy to think about. But yeah, so that's wow. kind of cool okay. that it's coming out because we tried to record that song. It's like a very full band, like drum heavy song, a lot of guitars. And we tried to record it in Justice's bedroom. We tried so hard, and but it just always, it never sounded the way we wanted it to. So we didn't release it. And I'm really glad we didn't because now I feel like we've finally been able to like kind of do it justice, hopefully justice. <laughs> hey, all right. You were you were telling me that it was done at a studio in Liberty Village. Yes, I believe that's where it is. Um, yeah, it was done at ADA Studios with um, Phil Hotz is his name. He did all the engineering, and it was, like, very – it was a really good experience. I think I was very nervous going into the recording of the project because the last project we'd recorded, um, my drummer Steven has, like, a studio that he runs, and it's really great. Yeah. Um, and we recorded the last project there – um, but then for this project, I was like, I want, I don't want Steven to have to like play double duty. Cause he was doing like engineering and playing drums. And, um, 
I was like, I want him to just be able to focus on the music. So, um, and I was kind of excited to try out a different space. Um, so we did it at Phil's studio and it was so great. He's so nice. And I was really anxious about the vocal takes cause I can, I'm very like, uh, I don't want to say annoying, but like very repetitive with vocal takes. And like if I'm doing doubles, it takes a while. And so I was like very nervous that it would be a bad experience or that I would feel pressured to be faster than I was. And cause when you're in the studio, it's like every minute is like $5 or something, you know, it's like, sure. <laughs> um, but he was just really great and the experience was really great. And I think he got out so many good sounds for the project that I'm really excited about. So, yeah, that's awesome. What was like, do you remember some memorable moments of recording the album or the, well, the EP? Um, do you remember like, a take that was like super memorable or like this one part or this one drum solo or this not solo <laughs> <laughs> shout out Steven no. on the drum solos on the, on the CP, but no, but like uh, or like a take that somebody did where you're like, Oh my gosh, that's the, that's the, that's the part we needed. Mm. Yeah. I feel like, mm, uh, yeah, I think something fun that was kind of cool was like on this song that justice and I wrote so long ago. Um, there's this guitar part that Phil was like, he like gave Justice like three pairs of headphones and then Justice went into like the room and like shut all the doors and turned the amp like all the way up and to like just crank it and yeah, it yeah. sound insane and we recorded it and um, it was really funny because he like did the take and then he couldn't hear anything. He's like, was it good? And we were like, it was great. And <laughs> so that was really cool because That's it was cool. just a very interesting way to record a guitar and it sounded wild it sounded like yeah very gnarly yeah yeah that's great and which song is that for the for now the people that one, oh right, it's out now yeah. um marion nice it's called marion okay yeah. check it out folks um what's is there like is there uh, like a like a story arch to this this record is it for individual songs what what's the what's the message behind this record if you want to share yeah yeah it's very much about relationships and like power dynamics and I, I guess like just I really wanted to focus on like love in like it's really amazing forms but also in it's like really like intense and damaging forms and so it's definitely focused around like relationships platonic or romantic and just how um how much of like a driving force they can be like in in your life so when 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 doing a lot of records a lot of people like pull references and stuff, influences. Before the before even stepping into the studio, did you have like some albums, some feelings, some like even some movies or some paintings or like some things mm -hmm. that like y'all were like listening to or uh, looking at or, you know, being influenced by yeah. for the record? Yeah, definitely. Um I think, in, I mean, in terms of, like, bands, Big Thief was a big yeah. inspiration because they, I feel like they have such a band feeling to their music. It's just, it feels very jammy and, like, their cohesion is just so strong. So I definitely wanted to kind of try to get that kind of, not so much a live off the floor feeling, but just a feeling of a lot of, like, reactions between instruments. Um, yeah, and in terms of, like, movies... One of the songs, The Calls Inside the House, was definitely inspired by, like, classic horror movies. Yeah. Um, 
there's this one horror movie, I think it's called Black Christmas, I think is what it's called. But it's um, just like a very, cla- like it's like a classic 70s horror movie and it's like the calls coming from inside the house, like that kind of <laughs> vibe. So yeah, yeah. yeah, that was definitely inspired by that. But yeah, I think I just really wanted it to feel, I think the last EP that I released felt more like a collection and I wanted this one to feel a bit more like a, um, I mean, it's only four songs, but I wanted it to feel a bit more cohesive. And like as a band, we were approaching it a little bit more seriously almost. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Like talking about the, the process after the records like recorded. For the people that don't know, for the people interested listening, what are like the steps like after you record the record? Mm. Like for you, even from like, like you got to bring it. Do you, do you bring it to management? Do you get? Do you have to get an okay from the label? Do you have to do all these things? Like, yeah, d- I definitely. Um, so I would kind of get Phil to bounce whatever we did that day, and then mm-hmm. send it to my management. Just kind of get their opinions, and um, I think I also like to keep everybody kind of updated and um, in the loop. Um, and I was working with George Albrecht, um, who's like a really amazing musician and producer. Um, and he produ- <laughs> produced, sorry, this uh, EP. So we yeah. would send it to him, which is tough because he wasn't like in the room. So a lot of emails. Whoa, interesting. Yeah. Okay, how was that process? It was, I mean, he made it great because he's great. But I think moving forward, I'm like, if I have a producer on for like upcoming projects, I would need them to be physically in the space because right. there was just, there's like a delay you can't avoid no matter how amazing somebody is at their job. It's like we'd send an email about like a drum tone and then we get a response, but like we're already moved on to the next song or like right, it's right, just, right. it's really tough. It's like telephone. Um, but I mean, he was great and I, I think he added so much to the project, but I think in general, it was like a learning experience of like, okay, I would definitely want a producer here to like workshop a bunch of different stuff. So what was the conversation that in regards to um, getting a producer that wasn't sort of in person? Yeah, I'm, I kind of got connected to him through his management and then we talked and he was really cool and seemed into the music. So I think, well, we started off just kind of looking to collaborate. And then eventually when I kind of fleshed out that I was making this EP it just kind of seemed natural for him to jump on Mm -hmm. um and he'd done remote stuff before so he was really used to it um and people do it successfully and like enjoy it but I think for me um yeah looking back I'm like oh I think I do need someone who's like physically there yeah yeah but yeah he was really cool what's different about like the release between this project and your other projects before especially like now in in 2023 in the in the environment that we're in with TikTok not vine or like <laughs> like things like that like what's what's that about for you yeah yeah it's interesting i i think i'm you know i am trying to push some tiktoks out into the world mm-hmm. um surrounding the release i think i mean i'm also trying to find other like different ways to engage with an audience that feels maybe more natural, like having more of a presence on Bandcamp or like Goodreads or Letterboxd or something even separate from music to like engage with people. So I think surrounding a release, I'm kind of, it's it's almost like an all hands on deck moment of like be 
present and like respond to people and post on your whatever. And so a lot of yeah. it is online. I'd say most of a release is like, like re- it's like we Justice and I were going <laughs> on like this like road trip on a day that my last EP came out and I was literally on my phone like the entire day. Yes, yeah. Because um, you're just you're responding to people and then you're messaging people on your team and like your bandmates and sending assets and whatever and it's cool yeah. and it's like really great but we actually lost service which was good because then I was like oh now I can actually like sit and kind of enjoy this moment of like feeling accomplished and hope- hopefully feeling content and happy without being on your phone for like seven hours of screen time <laughs> totally totally I have artists that work with one artist was telling me the other day that they they were a lot of release times they've just been like in their bath sort of thing and in yeah. the evening or midnight hits and then you're like oh my god the song was released and then you're just like at home just yeah. hanging or something or, McDonald's. Yeah, yeah it's like strange because you do put so much it's like all these smaller moments that feel very rewarding when you like finish recording in the studio and or yeah. when you finish writing the songs and then releasing them is like a different feeling of like oh wow now anyone can hear it but it doesn't it's not the same for me at least as like writing the songs or playing them live or it's a, a different kind of like satisfaction. I get that for sure. And even <laughs> I won't name who it is, but another friend of mine was telling me how like sometimes when they're releasing stuff, they have like a message, like a thank you message that's copied. <laughs> So that, like, with fans repost. That's so smart. Or, I'm, oh, I'm always so scared I'm going to copy the wrong name. Yeah, Just don't include names, I guess. That's yeah, yeah, smart exactly, exactly. It's like, thanks, heart, eyes, emoji, <laughs> stars, flower, whatever. Uh, and I just thought it was great. Cause that is funny. It just, it just speaks to the fact that on release day, sometimes you're just on your phone for eight hours yeah. and text and management doing all these things and it's 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 almost it's almost anticlimactic yeah but for your fans it's not this is like (laughs) a big day big day for everybody going from uh releasing or even just like releasing the record to like now even like a live setting i guess it's 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 you, you sort of have an easier process because a lot of what you record is also with your band. Mm-hmm. Um, are there are there new conversations that happen from the rec- the record to the live kind of stage? What's that process been like from going to from the from the studio to to the stage? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I, I mean, I hadn't listened to the songs in their recorded versions for a long time, but we'd been playing them a lot. So yeah, um, I think just slowly we all kind of started kind of almost doing new things within the songs because we got so comfortable playing them together. I would like sing a different inflection at a certain point or like justice would play a different note or Steven would have a different fill. And like all those moments just kind of like started to build up. And I feel like the songs in the form that we play them live is quite different from the way that they're recorded. Um, There's a lot that like maintains itself, but I think, it's interesting. I like listened to a snippet of Clay Feet the other day and I was like, whoa, I don't sing that anymore. But I used to when sure. I recorded it. So I yeah. think that's like a really interesting part of the live show that I really like is like when you get so comfortable with the songs, you you just change them in ways that feel satisfying and different, almost like to refresh it for yourself. Um, so that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And I think the release show is going to be really fun because 
we're we're playing some new stuff, some unreleased Ooh. stuff, which is cool. And um, my sister's playing synth, which is going to be super Whoa, sick. That's yeah, great. so yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, let's talk about the release show. Um, and for people watching, it's coming out after this 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 ep- episode's released. So. Please promote it however you'd like. What, what's what's going to happen? Who's opening? Who's mm-hmm. like, what, what, what are we looking forward to? So it's on August 17th. Yes. At the Drake. Um, and it's going to be me and my sister playing synth and Justice on guitar and Steven on drums and Isaac on bass. Woo. And my friend and amazing musician Nardos Almaz is opening. She's like 19 or 20 and writing songs that are so good at freaks me out because when i was 20 i was writing music that was so not what it (laughs) should have been so she's amazing and i'm so excited to see her and there's a special guest whoa that's a little hush hush but all i can tell you is that they are the little things that stick with you easter egg (laughs) (laughs) i wish i had a rap horn or something (laughs) wow okay yeah there you go it's gonna be really fun i'll be listening back to this this podcast edit, and I'll be like, <laughs> "Who is it? Who is it?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Okay, so Drake, August seventeenth. Please be there. Get your tickets. Um, are you nervous about it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always get nervous, especially yeah, sure. like there are some guitar parts that I'm playing that are new, and they're not—they're objectively not that hard. But I'm just not—you know—I know how to play guitar enough, but it's like more of a tool than a. Uh, something I love so that's kind of new and but I just want to I think I'm I would be nervous just because I want to create a really good night but I think it'll be really fun because the openers are some of my best friends and we're gonna have some merch and probably some drinks and yeah it'll be good that's great what about the record I know it's, it's 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 literally in two days yeah. <laughs> um, but what's what, what are your feelings around that? Are you pretty, like, is it pretty, like, after you send it to DSPs, it's all, like, stress-free now? Or is it still, like, awaiting some pitchfork review or, like, stuff like that? Like <laughs> I would be so scared. Yeah, oh, yeah, it happened to Elio last time. We were like, ah. Oh, my God, they have the most mean way of saying stuff. Like, anyway, they freak me out. But, um, yeah, but they're cool. <laughs> but, um, uh, if you're if you're listening, if, they're cool. If you're listening, you're so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm 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 excited, but I don't think I'm dog sitting a dog named Bruno that night. Whoa, so Bruno! Me Shout and out. Bruno will be hanging out, celebrating, just chilling. So That's I'm great. excited. You have upcoming tours, tour, tour. <laughs> so far, maybe plural. Yeah, yeah maybe plural. Um, with Jesse Joe Stark. Mm-hmm. What are your what what are what are your like what are your first thoughts when like take me through because I know it's different for everybody when you get that first message that first call mm-hmm. when you're like hey this is an offer yeah what what do you what do you like look at first as an artist I'm ex- I mean yeah so I got I was on the phone with Wilson um, and he's like yeah it looks like we got this part of the store and I was like wow that's crazy and I always listen. To, well, I had listened to her music already and yeah. being submitted to the tour, but then I went back and listened more and a little, like I listened more intently because I was like, well, I'm going to be opening for this person. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I just always go to the music and 
also obviously their Instagram and her Instagram's amazing and she scares me in like a good way because she's like so cool and um good. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited for it. It'll yeah. be interesting. I don't know if we're gonna do a trio, quartet, you know, who knows? But there you go. we yeah. will be there. Yeah. Um stay tuned. Stay everybody. tuned. Yeah. And again, all these things will be in the description below. Go get your tickets for that. But also the August seventeenth show at the Drake. Um I wanted to have a quick moment here on uh, past touring because I'm such a big fan of Men I Trust. <laughs> um, crazy. You you you've done so opening slots for 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 many people now. You you mentioned as well one um, beforehand. Um, Men I Trust, Indigo to Souza as well. Um, what were those tours like? Yeah, Men I Trust was also crazy for me because I've been fans of theirs since I was in high school and. Um, I, whenever I'm opening for anyone, especially an artist that I like love, yeah. I'm always very much like, uh, hi, thank you for having me. And then I like, don't want to talk to them. Cause I'm like, oh, I don't want to mess up your night. You know, it's like, I want to essentially as an opener be as like docile and easy to work with as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was kind of expecting them to reciprocate that cause they're just, you know, so good and so cool. But after we played a show with them in Vermont, we like, went backstage and they were all hanging out and then Emma, the singer and, and the um, instrumentalist, she's like, wow, you guys are so good. Thank you so much for being here. And I was like, oh, you're talking to me? Like, <laughs> she was just so, all of them were so nice. And yes. we played, I think, like four or five shows with them. And um, like at the end of the tour, we were like all hanging out after the shows and like having some drinks and talking. And one of the, I think it was the keyboard player, one of the keyboard players, no, it was the drummer, was from... Eric. He was from the East Coast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, love. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah, yeah, connections yeah. everywhere. But yes, yeah. yeah. So that was so cool. And I think it just, like, surprised me that they're so good at what they do. And they're so nice. And I was like, wow, people can be really good and really nice. And that is just so nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. People, again, another wreck. Man, I trust. Please mm -hmm. check them out. So good. So, oh, man. I, I need to see them live. I hadn't seen them live. They're but incredible. it's so, like... It sounds just like the record. <sighs> I have no idea how they do it. It's silly. Yeah. Even Eric, like, just, like, with this, like, this, this simple ways, but also, like, the volume and the, 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 the gentle approach exactly. that they all take. It's so wild. It sounds compressed in, like, the most satisfying way. Yeah. So good. Last question for you. Well, a couple, couple questions. Um, for artists going through a release... Uh, if, if, if it's your first time, if you're listening to this, it's your first time releasing uh, a, an EP record, doing a release show. Do you have any like tips, tricks, mm. any thoughts, general thoughts on for, for people um, that are just sort of going through it? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I guess um, when you release it, maybe do something that you enjoy like the night that it gets released other than like being on your phone um like go for a walk or like hang out with friends because i think that's like a nice way to celebrate it and i guess leading up to a release try not to put too much pressure on like how it's received right away yeah because i think especially tiktok has shown the longevity that music can have and how like an album or a song can be released like in the 90s and then come back and be like oh it's charting so yeah, I think it's, like, very important to not put so much pressure on, like, the first week or the first month of a release and be like, oh, the numbers aren't good enough. Because that's, like, a very reductive way to look at the art you've worked so hard on. So, 
Yeah. Great tip. <laughs> Great tip. Last question. Um, dream gig, dream tour. I, I've, I've been asking Ooh. this over the past couple, a couple days, a couple weeks rather. Um, do you have like a dream artist that you'd either want to do open for or do like a do double tour with? I feel like probably the national. I love them so much. And Matt Verninger's lyrics are like so good. Yeah. And I've never even seen them live, but in my dream world of dream worlds, I would open for them. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. What about you yourself? Um, do you have like a dream like venue or like a dream like mm. festival slot? Something like something wild. I'm just I'm yeah. just having fun here. Just like a dream sort of situation. Um hmm. I would love to play in Halifax. That's like yeah. I mean hopefully maybe someday the dream will come true. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, even just anywhere in Halifax or there's this theater called the Greek Theater in LA and I I've never even yes, been there, but yeah. I've just heard of it and it sounds cool. So yeah. maybe that. <laughs> Amazing. We're back, everybody. Uh, hope everything's going well. Twenty <laughs> ninth um, episode again. Rachel Bobbitt here. Uh, check out her new EP that's out now, everybody. It came out last Friday, although for us it's in two days. Um, but yes, please check it out. The half we still have um, a four song EP. Great. We're about to play the Dream Fest game, or well, we but. Mainly, Rachel is about to talk about uh, her Dream Fest. And for those who don't know what the Dream Fest game is all about, is that we get to learn a little bit more about um, the guests, in this case, Rachel's favorite acts to, or dream acts to, 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 to watch, to listen to live. Um, so basically, what we do is I ask her to give us her dream night of, at a festival. So who would be headlining the, the evening, the second headli headliner, the opener, where the festival would be, when it would be during the year, the attendance, the ticket price. And for each guest, I, I add a little bit of uh, sort of a special question here at the end. For you, I didn't know what to ask, but I said <laughs> a special drink or food item that would be for sale at the at, 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 in the evening of the festival, um, so we'll be right back. The Dream Fest game with Rachel Bobbitt, and uh, see you in a sec. Another record scotch for y'all, everybody. <laughs> We're back. It's uh, the Dream Fest game with Rachel Bobbitt. Um, Rachel, what do you got for us here? Okay, I have a beautiful festival. <laughs> the headliner would be Slow Dive. Whoa. Okay. Great. Yep. Rocking it out. Yeah. The second act would be Yola Tango. Okay, I don't know this band. They are so good. Okay. I feel like you'd like them. Okay. Um, and then the opener would be Big Thief. Sticking them Amazing. in the opener slot, but they're, they get an hour. <laughs> um, where? Annapolis Valley, where I Amazing. grew up. When? September of 2025. You gave the year as yeah. well. So get, get, yeah. Get your tickets, and the tickets are pay what you can. That's amazing. And the specialty food and drink yeah. are cosmopolitans and hot dogs because cosmopolitans, we can also make them, you know, sober, non-alcoholic cosmos. They're my favorite drink. And then hot dogs because they're easy, they're portable, 
You can dress them up or have them plain, and we'll have vegan options too. Amazing. So, <laughs> yes, yes. Can I ask why September twenty twenty five? I like twenty twenty five because I'll be twenty five, and I think that feels very rounded and exciting. And I will have reached a maturity level that is ready to witness all of these bands. <laughs> and then September, because in Nova Scotia, I feel like that's a really good time of the year. August is like way too hot and humid. But September is like good. It'll still be sunny, probably, and nice, but it's not cold and it's not hot. Yeah. It's perfect. I love it. <laughs> I love a good early sept. Yes. I always say early September. Even like even like late September is a great time of the year. Yep. Um you know, associated to school, but the weather's always great in September. Um, amazing. I love the Cosmo and the hot dog situation. Um, I don't know why I was thinking hot dog the, t- the whole time. We didn't talk about it, but really? I was I was thinking hot dog. I don't know why. Oh, because it's just perfect for there, a festival, you know? You hot dog and a Cosmo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The dream. That's great. Um, that's how we end it. Thanks for Yay. coming. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Yeah. Oh. It was it was great, and again, we don't really know each other that well, but uh, it was great to have you and yeah. great topics. And now you know a lot about me, and I still don't know right. much about that's you. That's right. So. I'm still the mystery. A lot of people tell me that too. <laughs> uh, they they see me at a gig or whatever. We're like they're like we don't really know much about you, but we know that you interviewed whoever they follow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks again for coming. Thanks again, everybody, for uh, tuning in, listening. Um, I see you listening, and I have a map on uh, the distribution platform that I go through. And it's great to see. Oh, that's nice. There's a, there's a map. It's like a lot of Sudbury, shout out. Um, <laughs> but also throughout the world, a lot of Asia, a lot of a lot of US, a lot of Europe. It's, it's, nice. it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. The map is, is fun. Um, and anyway, no matter where you're listening to, or no, no matter where you're listening from, uh, I appreciate it. And uh, we at AIDS here appreciate it. And uh, please, if you haven't yet, Go uh, sh- throw a review out on uh, on Apple. Um, put up a comment on YouTube. Uh, go follow Rachel. Um, just put out uh, her EP last Friday. And again, August 17th uh, for those tickets at the Drake here in Toronto. Um, thanks, everybody. Thanks, uh, and we'll see you next week. Stay safe. Bye. 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 <laughs>